Welcome to It's Not Them, It's You, the show where we take ownership of our choices and where they have gotten us so far. I'm your host, Joy Dennis. Thanks for joining me. Having a good week so far? Yeah. Um, it's Friday. So it's Friday. So it's kind of late to ask. Well, it's Friday and it's, it's, been, a, it's been a fine week. It's been, the passing of time has been average. Yeah. 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 I, I think, you know, I've, over the past week and a half, um, just don't have the same kind of tension when I wake up in the morning and I look at the news to see what stupid thing was said and, uh, just worrying that some, uh, unhinged person might have control of nuclear weapons. Mm. Um, but that's not the case anymore. And I, I, uh, I feel a lot better. A little more relaxed. Yeah. It's like I can focus on other things. <laughs> uh, I can focus on things that have needed attention that haven't been getting attention because I've let uh, being in a crisis mindset uh, be a great tool for procrastinating. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is draining. So, I mean, it may feel like procrastination, but at the same time, it's like if you don't have it, you don't have it. But it is hard to feel like things you don't want to think about or kind of what's happening on the outside is stealing something from you. Yes, being sapped. Yeah. I mean, it's all of 2020 after March sort of felt like that, which is why I never, well, for, I never me. recorded another episode of my podcast after I started it because I just was like all out of gas. Right. That's true. What were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say 2020 and I'm talking like four years. Yeah, it's true. But I guess it, there's no secret about what my politics are and who I trust. Um, yeah. So thank you for what you will. So this week's topic, actually, or this episode's topic is about refusing to have a victim's mindset and and kind of refuting the idea, the internal story that life is just happening to me and I don't have any kind of control or any choice, which I think ties in really well with our last episode about taking control of our external experience. So this is more about taking control of like that inner story that we tell ourselves about ourselves and about our circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I know for me, it's like if I tell myself that I'm powerless and that I don't have any control, then I'm definitely going to see the world through that lens and operate that way. What are some ways that you could tell yourself that you're powerless? Well, I mean, to go back into my own story more, like I felt like when I was in sort of organized religion, that part of the story I was meant to believe was that I was powerless, Mm -hmm. that this larger divine being was sort of responsible for me and that whatever I wanted or needed would be provided for me. So I didn't actually have to make it happen myself. But if it didn't happen, then I was supposed to just suffer the lack of it for whatever consequence that was. For whatever consequence you deserved. Yes for whatever I deserved. So it's like, there's always these quotes of like, people say, oh, well, how are you doing? And everyone is supposed to feel so empowered and so good and say, oh, better than I deserve. You know, being the the piece of garbage that I am, anything is better than what I deserve. So that mindset really sets you up for some serious helplessness. And I feel like that was a huge part of my story was just this idea of always petitioning this outside source for everything that I needed. What do you think the uh, hidden agenda in promoting that I think that organized religion is about control. And if you have a helpless people, then they're much easier to control through your various venues, churches, the Pope, whatever it is, has the final say. But what, what did those people get out of it? If those people even exist, is there a conspiracy or is it just a, um, unfortunate, uh, maladaption of humanity? I think that it, it could be both working 
together because I think that there, I mean, there's, are, there pe- are people who, I mean, people, I think, genuinely need some kind of boundaries and some kind of structure. And so why not, not just let the natural world be that, but create some other higher world that does have an agenda? I guess the thing uh, that interests me, and it, I don't, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm uh, approaching this more of like an anthropo- anthropological mm-hmm. sort of thing. Is it's interesting to see how many abusive personalities end up as pastors um, or leadership in the church. It doesn't matter what brand we're talking; it's not even Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you get people in a. Uh, leadership position and even in corporations right yeah and Mm -hmm. it attracts these narcissistic abusive people um well and and you look at the narcissistic abusive sort of personality those personality traits come from being abused they're trauma personalities i had no control as a child so now i need to grasp at control i need to make others feel the way i felt in order to feel powerful and who better to be uh around than people who don't believe that they're worth anything. Right. It works really well for the people who need others to impart some sense of value to them. And so I guess those of us who sort of graduate out of that system are more of the anomalies of saying, I don't need something bigger than me to legitimize my value and my worth. I am valuable and worthwhile just for who being who I am. Okay. So for for me, it, this might come as a surprise. I mean, I, I spent... I spent 10 years solid being a practicing atheist just because of my reactive state Mm -hmm. against the church. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm certainly not, uh, I I would certainly be considered a heretic by mainline religion. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think that it's not so much saying we aren't cared for and that it's all up to us for me so much as it is maybe god isn't as big of a dick as he's made out to be well i know that for you and i in our transition away from the church one of the big sort of momentous things that we sort of came decisions that we came to or or understanding that we came to was what if all god wanted was for us to be happy how would we live differently? Mm-hmm. And it was that one fundamental piece that actually put, like, erased the victim mindset. Not fully. I still have had to process that over the years, but really replaced this helpless attitude with, if I'm so, if I'm allowed to be led by happiness, then the path I'm on is so different mm-hmm. than the path I believed that I was on because I'm allowed to actually make choices, period. Like, I'm allowed to make choices, this I do want to do. This I don't want to do. Yeah, this I, feels exciting. This doesn't feel exciting. I, I guess that uh, what I'm trying to say is, or do, is to invite people in who might misperceive what we're saying as saying God doesn't exist. And say and, and by saying take control of your life, that doesn't mean that you're not cooperating with the universe and that universe it, the universe is God, is what I'm saying. Right, right. Um, so the empowerment piece of that is, I'm not helpless anymore because I don't, because I stopped believing in a God that was a dictator. Because the world isn't against you. I mean, there are, right. there are, defi- there's definitely evidence to the contrary mm-hmm. um, to that statement. Um, but overall, 
the fact that life exists at all is evidence enough that there's um, not necessarily a plan for your life, but there's definitely a benevolent idea or benevolent sentiment that you should exist and you should give it a go and not throw up your hands and say, um, everything's out of my control. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like that ties in with the idea of not maintaining a victim mindset in the pursuit of happiness? Like, how do you feel like your personal story changed? How did you rewrite that narrative for yourself? Even as you moved into maybe atheism or just a sort of agnostic perspective, how did it change like what you would tell yourself about hard times? Well, it it's, uh, makes it very easy to blame certain things like... Uh, institutionalized religion when you are like for you can say oh well the reason why there's hell on earth is because people can't wait to get to heaven uh i don't i don't know like just to be clear i I was an atheist i was not agnostic I, i don't think that agnosticism is a uh a useful thing to be so would you const would you say i was an atheist so what would you consider yourself now and what was the change Um, I think the change was not allowing other people to own God, Mm. um, that I don't have to take what other people say God is, um, as the only valid answer. And, uh, I think that we can't comprehend God. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that, and, and this is, this is maybe like a makes for a very lengthy podcast but okay um well here's one concept if if there can be one god and if that's possible why is it so preposterous to think that there could be many gods like do you understand what i'm saying is that there's Mm -hmm. the potential for what the universe um or the multiverse has is i guess that's the word is potential so I'm more of the mindset to believe in potential and not put God in a box, not make him or her in my image. And so I guess what I, what I, my mindset and my, um, my consenting to there being a God has to do with my understanding that anything is possible. Um, hmm. Like so, just being open to whatever might be. And it's not agnosticism, <laughs> though. Because how would you define agnosticism? Agnosticism is saying I don't know. So you're you're in a different position than that. You're not saying I don't know. You're saying I trust that there is. I I trust that there is more than I trust that there's not. Okay. And whereas agnosticism is this ambivalent position of um, it, it might be, or it might not be, and. If, I'm going to be fairly apathetic about Mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. Right. Agnosticism sort of is just like, I don't know, so I don't have to think about it. I mean, like, it's funny because when I have clients who say, I don't know, in response to an answer, I say, we always know. We just either don't want to think about it or don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so being an agnostic is almost just being in denial, not ready to deal. Right. It's it's procrastinating um, the inevitable. Mm. Um, So I... Uh, so what's the point in all this? Well, we're talking about, you know, the idea of refusing the victim mindset. And I know for me that that victim mindset really hinged on like 
organized religion made me into a victim is what I'm going to say. Again, that's a very victimy thing to say because it made me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would say that that's, I would say that there are probably more compounding factors about that victim mindset because I would, you know, I also was, I had a lot of conditioning around what I couldn't, couldn't do growing up. Um, what I was allowed to have, like, I didn't have a lot of, uh, personal agency. I didn't have any like body and like, um, autonomy. So I would say that it, organized religion is one factor, but for me, the victimhood scenario had to do with the fact that I was very disempowered in my overall life experience. Mm-hmm. So not just because I believed in a God that didn't show up, but because I was just not empowered to have personal agency, to have opinions, to do things for myself, to go places by myself, to be, and I would put it this, like this way, to be 100% whole and valid as just me. Right. But so, my validity was always contingent on um, someone else's ideas about me. Yeah, and what you're describing is... Uh woman's place in the patriarchy that is a hundred percent what i'm talking about Um, and so i think i came by that story pretty uh easily mm -hmm. if that's what i'm trying to say yeah you came by that story easily and it was natural to perpetuate it into our marriage yes it was where like i you know we talked about this like not having any needs and deferring always to someone else's interest and not feeling like i had a like that i had a had a voice or whatever none of those things were perpetuated by you other than your own sort of complicit conditioning and patriarchy right so so actually what i would like to do is to not have you talk (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you're just gonna end right there uh no (laughs) i just realized that i was bossing you around Mm -hmm. yeah we'll try again which is kind of funny Mm -hmm. um in the context of this conversation um, it would be interesting for you to not talk about yourself and to talk about what you've observed in uh, a disempowered male, because it's very easy to talk about a disempowered female. Mm-hmm. But what are the what are the uh, noticeable things that you are notable things that you've come across? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is more interesting. I mean, I'm not saying more interesting, but yeah. that is an interesting take on it because it's really. I guess always- I'm saying more interesting because I've heard your. Yeah, version a lot. But also, we we do use kind of like the feminine story as one of victimhood versus looking at the masculine story of victimhood mm-hmm. and the way that it plays out differently. Um, and I and I could say with with the client work that I've done, and I would say actually <laughs> the majority of the men that I work with do have that victim mindset too. But it looks more like um, the world is out to get me. I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't control anything. You know, it's, it feels more like it's, it's the mirror is not internal. The mirror is an external. So it's less about this. I mean, it is a story they're telling, but it's a story about their outside world versus about their inside world. So what type of man ends up in that situation? What's their parenting like when they were a kid? Again, very strict, very controlling uh, parent environment. And one, I think actually sometimes it is overly structured. Um, this is the experience in in one particular scenario that I'm thinking of. It was um, the, the home environment was emotionally dismissive, which it tends to be for men anyway, at least in the previous generation, you know. When you say emotionally dismissive, you, you mean it's Boys don't cry. That's what. Yeah, you're... boys don't cry, or you know, everything is fine. You don't need to feel that way, or you know, um, <laughs> right? 
right exactly like totally emotionally dismissive or like mommy i'm scared no you're not scared everything is fine mommy i'm hurt no you're not hurt It's, it's funny because we were just watching a tv show uh this week and one of the contestants broke down crying because she couldn't pull off whatever she was cooking and this guy went up to her and was like, "Don't cry." I know. It's like such a, the, such a like a, I would say such a masculine well, approach. I've seen I've seen kids on I've seen kids in the school environment mm-hmm. go up to other kids and say, "Oh, don't cry!" Like and like put their arm around them. So like there's there's obviously a uh, some some vein of compassion being. Uh, it, right. like, that's involved, but there's also this huge element of being embarrassed by the person crying, and that's just not done. Or just taking the approach their parents take, which is like, you don't need to cry about that. Yeah. You know, I. So when I was talking about it, it's like, so the, these emotionally dismissive households, but then that have extreme structure. So in a, in a super highly structured home environment, children are not given choice options and therefore never learn choice making. And they feel like I don't need to make choices because every, all the choices are made. Or when they fight to make choices, they're rebuffed. And it's actually a very painful experience because the parent still needs the control. And so what I've witnessed is that when we're talking about adult men who are still, I mean, there's there's plenty of men who've experienced this and who have worked through it and who have become different, like they've outgrown their conditioning and they've grown past that. And then there's the other side of that where skills are not gained and development is very stunted. And so those are the, that's what I'm going to talk about specifically, because I don't want to make any generalizations about men. It's everyone has their own story. But what that looks like is having no internal structuring because the structure in... Because mom's always handling it. Yeah, because mom or dad always was creating the structure. And so there's no internal sort of like, this is good for me. This isn't good for me. This is what I want. This, you know, I can wait. There's, you know, kind of these maturity structures that Mm -hmm. we put in, that we as parents allow to develop because we don't put them in place. We allow them to develop by stepping back a little Mm -hmm. and allowing choice making, talking about ideas, helping free thinking happen. Whereas and you have to do that with an open hand. Absolutely. I think the mistakes children make at home are the mistakes that they should be making. They're less costly. They're not life endangering. And they don't, as parents, that's our job is to allow our children to sort of navigate a smaller world with safety Mm -hmm. because they're going to be navigating a larger world with no safety. And so what I found with, with these men is that because they don't have any internal structuring, then they're spent their adult lives floundering emotionally, um, only choosing the easy thing, the thing that's not that hard, really, really being undisciplined. So a lot of times there's addiction issues Mm -hmm. because one, there's attachment issues. They don't have a, like a strong bond with, with their parent. And then they don't have a strong bond with partners. So there's a lot of failed relationships. There's a lot of addiction. There's all these kinds of things. But then as we're trying to work together, what I'm coming up against is this kind of jelly structure on the inside that needs to be sort of remade from the ground up. But, you know, is really hard to do, like, say, when you're like 60 Uh to incorporate new habits because you're still fighting against all those childhood voices that are still running the show. Of I never got to do X, so now I like this sense of sort of rebellion and and pushing and entitlement of like I don't want to do the thing that's not fun. I don't want to do the thing that's that well. When is... you're, by the time you're sixty, there's 
Um, the story is really reinforced at that point. Well, what I'm saying <laughs> is that there, there are people who are 60 who decide at that point, well, I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. But they've spent their whole can, lives already doing the things they're supposed to do, right? Right. So I, I don't know... Um, well, what I'm finding. I don't find, know what to do with that. Well, idea. what I'm finding is that it's not about what the what the outside world wants you to do. Like when we live happy lives, we are owning our choices. If we don't own our choices, then we're still just kind of at the at, you know rifled by the smallest breeze, and and so it's that owning of choices and choice making that really builds up this internal structure yeah. versus kind of being lost at sea but but it's this discipline piece that really changes the story like what we talked about a couple days a couple times ago was like that discipline piece and self-care for me really changed my experience because i could do the hard thing for myself right whereas if someone can't do the hard thing for themselves then they're always falling down it's like being a jellyfish you wait for the next wave to take you where you're gonna go or the next current to just wash you up on the shore and maybe you're just gonna die and dry out on the sun but you don't have any agency to get back in the water and swim for it and so it ends up being a lot of sort of wishy-washy living or what i've seen is is guys in this situation will re they will get married to someone who is super controlling because mm -hmm. then they have some structure again, but they're miserable. Well, yeah, it's always convenient to have somebody to blame for... For your unhappiness. Right. Um, so I guess the question is not how to be happy, but more is being happy better than not being happy? Because it seems like the human condition repeatedly gravitates towards let's be miserable instead. Well, and I think that as humans, we're much more comfortable with what is familiar, even if what's familiar is discomfort. And so that's where we are not brave. That's where we don't take risks because we settle back into, you know, you'll see people who grew up in abusive homes end up in abusive relationships because it's the pain you know versus the potential suffering you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's where this kind of level of empowerment or choi active choice making changes the scenario, but it takes bravery to be open to something new like i would say for you moving from being a confirmed atheist into being open to the possibility of there being some kind of divine hand at work is brave because what it's easy to shut ourselves down in a little dark room and stay there but it takes bravery and courage to leave that quote-unquote safe space and allow the unknown in mm -hmm. so i know like that when when i left the church one of the funny things that I did was look for another box. Yeah. So when I was like, okay, this box doesn't fit, then I went and looked at all the other boxes looking for one that fit me better. And it took a while before I realized that I was most comfortable in a box. And <laughs> that I was just like really, really looking for another box. And when I realized that that's what I was doing, then I could say, okay, so my conditioning is I feel safer in a box because a box gives me boundaries. It tells me the story. It tells me what my place is and it gives me a sense of belonging. Yeah. The really scary thing is to say, I don't need a box, that I actually belong to the universe. Yes. And that this big expansive thing is me too. And whoa, and that maybe whoa, whoa. Right. And that... 
the human mind needs things like myths and religion mm -hmm. to kind of temper it. it narrow it down through a little pinhole mm -hmm. that you can understand what the vastness of the other side might be, but it really is a, uh, a super distorted truth right. of, I mean, of what is actually out there. Right, like we can be content with looking through the pinhole or looking through the crack in the door or the keyhole or whatever it is and feel like that is, that's the reality that is what we're allowed mm -hmm. and totally be okay with that until we realize we're looking through a keyhole. Like for me, when I got to that point, it was like, I'm looking through a keyhole or I'm trying to find another box that I fit in. Once I recognized I was looking for another box or that I had this limited perspective and point of view, then just being the kind of person I am, because this isn't everyone, being the kind of person I I am was like this is no longer good enough like i'm a i'm a knowledge seeker mm -hmm. this is like my biggest passion and hobby and purpose and so i know that at that moment i had a choice to just stick with what i understand i quote unquote understand just stick with what i know just stick with what is safe stick with the ideas that keep me connected to my family stick with the ideas that keep me connected to my community and the ones that don't alienate anybody that I haven't already alienated. <laughs> so for me, the big, brave, vulnerable choice was to say, I cannot deny that there is a different story and that there's more out there and that I have to go that way at the sacrifice and the risk of everything familiar. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say that your identity is in seeking knowledge and running after chasing down that the unknown and making it known. Is that what you're saying? I would I would say that because the thing that the thing that draw, drew me out of the church specifically was not ne all my negative experiences. Those were things I sort of realized after the f fact. The thing that really drew me out was my pursuit of something real in my re in my connection to God. Yeah, and I just followed that scent essentially. So the the more sciencey side of me is going to observe right now that humans are pattern recognition machines mm -hmm. and we're prone to see things that we want to see or see things that we're familiar with and so the idea that you would look essentially for another bible <laughs> um, another box another box mm -hmm. another institution um, really is speaks to the idea that pattern is a thing that is inescapable. And so I guess the, the good thing is that we can step even further back from the mountain and say, oh, well, that was one pattern. How about another one? Let's step further back and see what is really going on here. Um, and we might decide, oh, we were fooling ourselves before. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like this idea of like, a, you know, maybe the, the big view is a tapestry, but we're hung up on just, Some threads. just the threads. Mm -hmm. And I want to follow this thread because it seems like the thread that's taking me in this direction. Or I'm really hung up on just this cross stitch bit right here. But it's like the, the big pullback view is this incredible masterpiece that I'm just one stitch of mm -hmm. that I can just absorb as like a fullness versus I'm the cross stitch and everyone else must be cross stitch too. Cause if they aren't, then they're like French knots, forget it. Mm -hmm. You know? And so, so that narrow view of you like, yes, we're looking for pattern. We're looking for pattern. And what we're seeing is X after X after X after X. But when you pull back, you no longer see the minute pattern 
of the mm-hmm. dots, essentially, but you pull back and you see the whole masterpiece. And I don't feel like I've, I'm like pulled back to that massive universal view because I don't know that that's even possible, but I'm actually getting some distinct shapes. <laughs> Yeah. And recognizing that boxes or the little, you know, the little cross hatching or the little X or the little dot is not me. Yeah. And then and on the other hand, though, it's fairly arrogant to declare, oh, well, you, you poor people are uh, stuck in the threads. And if you would only step back, then you could see that the world is so much bigger. That That's is as arrogant as saying that there's only one God and that God is Jehovah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's also, you know, add on that you have to believe in Jesus. Um, that, I, I think it's all arrogance. Well, how um, do you, I mean, then how do you talk about it in a context that it, because when I talk about sort of where I'm, where I feel I am positioned in my journey, I don't necessarily apply that position to where anyone else is at. Everyone's journey is going to be where they are at. I mean, I'm in a position of being a teacher and a guide because of because of my own experiences and where I'm at. And if people didn't need my assistance, they wouldn't come. Yes. And that's that's part of that. Um, part of that thing that I was saying before that life persists because life is um, it's there for a reason. And so I, I guess that it's not up to me. It was going to sound very French existential and probably of no interest to many people, but uh, it's not up to me to decide what somebody else's life should should look like, right? Right. And I think that most of what we're talking about right now boils down to comparison and judgment um, as being the way we navigate what's what in life and we try to figure out what the patterns are um, through essentially split-second judgments. Um, So I think that if you can look at God not as uh, (laughs) not as perfect but as one of many imperfect things that are all conspiring to make life happen um, then you might either feel supremely lost (laughs) or supremely empowered because you know that it's all absurd well and i think the idea of i mean you use the word perfect which i'm gonna say is a completely human concept this idea that Mm -hmm. nothing can be added or subtracted to to make something to increase something's value or to make something better or whatever and so it is a it's a human concept and this is diverging way off of um the life coaching podcast um and i've forgot what I was going to say. Well, I don't think you need to talk about whether something is diverging or not. We're just talking about our experiences. So you like derailed yourself through qualifying what you had to say. Yeah, I did. Um, what were you saying? The The concept of perfection is a human right. idea. Okay. And the, where I was going with that was that the only reason why we have a concept of perfection is because we are pattern recognition machines. And so who's to say that what we're what, who's to say that what we're seeing isn't actually perfect already if we're so good at recognizing patterns. Exactly. But but there's a part of us that says impossible because we have like this quote unquote imposter syndrome that <laughs> it's such a buzzword right now everybody with their imposter syndromes but we do have this idea of imposter syndrome meaning that we're not already perfect creations yes and i know for me like a huge part of my self-discovery was i'm allowed to be exactly who i am because that's my perfect design yeah just to be joy yes and (laughs) if you're not supposed to be joy then why the are you here exactly exactly and so that for me was like 
this big, I think, affirmation that that another teacher helped me to come to was, I just want to be who I was designed to be. Yep. And that is actually all I have to be. <laughs> and that's enough. Right. And that was like massive for me to just embrace not the person that I thought my parents wanted to be, the person that, you know, people around me thought would be great. You know, the conditioning kind of like ideas uh, that, that I was raised within of like what I should be, but which I felt I wasn't, but that I could just be who I was designed to be. And that there was a lot of room for me to discover me being the only person who knew yeah. to discover who that person was and that all I had to be was that person. And that person is very nuanced. There's going to be dark and light. There's going to be high and low. But as long as I'm being authentic and true to who I was designed to be, then I didn't actually have to do anything else. So I guess the thorn in the side of what you're saying is, um, then why bother trying to make yourself better? Why bother trying to be happy? Because I also believe Because somebody that could listen to this and say, oh, I'm just supposed to be the way I am. I, you know, I, I'm only happy when it rains. Life is a joke. And, uh... Well, for me to take my role of being who I'm designed to be seriously means that I need to actually overcome wounds. I need to overcome yeah. um, conditioning. I need to overcome story that isn't true about myself right. because the, my purpose then is to be the most authentic version of me possible, which yeah. means a lot of work. And I'm going to, I'm going to push on this a little bit more and say, if you're, if you feel subjectively that your authentic self is being a terrible parent that only plays jelly splash and doesn't change his kids diapers, um, you there's room for improvement right absolutely so i i don't think that it's there's got to be some sort of uh moral compass that goes along with this idea of being your authentic self because well, okay. jeffrey dahmer is his authentic self well our, our authentic selves i'm gonna say touches down on who we our divine expression. And not everybody's going to get on board with this. But for me, this is my compass is if I believe that I am and that I have divine sparks within me and that there's a divine expression of who I am and that is my most authentic self, then I want to move in that direction. And that direction means kindness. It means being having love kind of as my center. Mm -hmm. It means seeing the goodness in others. It means being part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so there are all these things that kind of draw me, and I'm going to say like, this is how it feels for me, very subjectively, that draw me towards that more integrated center. And I think that what we want is, instead of using the word perfect, perfect or perfection, we want to use the word aligned or integrated. Because when we think about humans who are integrated, where, where their, their thoughts are integrated with their feelings, with their bodies, with their spirits, and everything feels like it's in a, like complete. Like there's a certain internal rest that's possible. And we may not all get there in this lifetime, but the goal is still there mm -hmm. that carries us forward. Like if we acknowledge that we're selfish, then we can move towards being more selfless, you know, but there's only so much like, and I think that this is important to understand. There's only so much gain we can make in a lifetime. And this is a metaphor I use with clients. It's like a rose is beautiful no matter what stage it's at. And 
whether it is still a bud that only unfolds a tiny, tiny bit, it's still a thing of beauty. Or it reaches its point where it is completely unfolded and fragrant. It's not any better than the bud. It's just about where it is in its cycle. But every part of the cycle is beautiful and essential for the next part of the cycle. Yes, and the the rose bud the blossom is not the rose it's a part of the whole rose plant and the <laughs> rose plant is not only what we can see because it's the roots it's also the roots mm-hmm. and the roots are not just the roots they're integrated into the earth and the whole thing works together so like what you're saying it's to, a it's a multi-dimensional experience yeah yes but each part of it is essential and each part of it is beautiful and that's where like you were talking about this kind of arrogance it's like who am who i can only speak to my own journey who am i to judge which part of the plant someone is what phase they are in their growth what phase they are in their blossoming so, but, it, but, but my my role is if i can provide a little sunshine if I can provide a little water, uh-huh. then I can partner and journey with someone too. So the thought just crossed my mind that arrogance is um, uh, in in concert with blame. Um, Ar- arrogance, like so I would say... So if yeah. you aren't happy and you're blaming somebody else for your misery, that is not you being disempowered. You're actually quite empowered because you've decided that somebody else is uh, in charge of your happiness. So Mm -hmm. if you're able to blame somebody else and have that level of arrogance, why don't you man up or woman up just a little bit more and recognize that you're the one in charge of your happiness? It's not them, it's you. Right, that's what I was getting to. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important to note that like the opposite of arrogance is actually um, gratitude. Huh. How's that? Well, because when we're arrogant, we we really cannot be thankful for what we have or what's in front of us or what is already in existence because we're actually pushing ourselves away from receiving. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about, you know, arrogance means I've got it all and yet you're somehow lacking. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it's if we recognize like th- there's a scenario that I had with a client where they were in a position to need help and the help was provided and they were very bitter about the help because I shouldn't have to need this was the attitude. And then the, the bitterness about need receiving help meant that they couldn't be grateful for the help. Mm-hmm. And then, then the other side of it was that they became very judgmental and kind of harsh with the people that helped because there was this like ingratitude piece. They couldn't actually fully and like humbly because humble, you know, we have to have humility. They couldn't receive the gifts that were given because they didn't want to need the gifts in the first place. It's yeah. very complicated. Well, I can totally identify with that. Well, and so the, the opposite... Was that me that you were... <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't you. But I know that it is common to find ourselves in a position of needing assistance, receiving assistance, and then being angry and bitter about the resistance, and then it basically feeling very judgmental and antagonistic towards the person who helped. And all of that is just a front for not being able to receive yeah, and because we want to be the position this, to give only. Yeah, I hate to make this uh, like a, an impromptu session. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just have realized that my grandmother and I share that common thread of not wanting people to help us. Mm-hmm. 
And I can easily identify the idea of, or the root of why it is I don't want people to help me is because I was a latchkey kid. Mm -hmm. And the moment that somebody stepped in meant that things went bad, like really bad. Like I set the back fence on fire or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So the moment people stepped in was actually because they needed to. And you needed them too. Yeah. But it somehow undermined your sense of... And so my my streak of being an independent operator started when I was 10. um, That it was, you know, I was out there fending for myself in the world. Literally on like... City buses and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, just... Well, I won't go further into that. But as it so happens, my grandmother refused all sorts of help, even though she broke her hip twice Mm -hmm. um, and would get upset if somebody like washed a dish because it was her domain that she wanted to have control over. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? She was orphaned when she was 12. Mm -hmm. And I guess there might be something to the childhood experience that leads to that ultra independent um well, we don't want to, way of doing things i mean i think there's the other side of that story is we don't i want mean to, it's funny that you and i got together hearing you say i you know i always had everything done for me or done to me and i'm quite the opposite really mm-hmm. um but i was going to say the other side of that story with your grandmother is that when we are forced into independence at a young age and we just live our lives that way the part of that is the abandonment issue is that if we don't have to rely on anyone then we'll never get let down again and so sure it can look like a desire to not receive help because we're we've got it under control but that is just kind of the coping strategy for if i don't have to depend on anyone if i don't have to trust on anyone that i'll never be abandoned or let down again right and that's why i, be- I became an atheist it's like well right <laughs> right like that, i would say less of the arrogance story but more of the abandonment story in, uh-huh. in this is if i and it totally that made sense that with your approach to god was i because you repeatedly said like my journey out of the church was one of pers- of pursuit like essentially i'm following the white stag you know that kind of thing whereas yours was fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me you're never going to trick me into needing you again yep and that very much is in alignment with your childhood experience that's very true and your grandma's childhood experience, which, oh, yeah. by, which by rights you inherited yeah. genetically from her. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, not only genetically, but, you know, I I'd spent a fair amount of time. With her, too. With her. Yeah. yeah. And so that, that makes sense that your, your kind of spiritual journey is one of, like, homecoming in a way. Because you're saying, I can actually return with, with like, a, a larger, bigger understanding that I'm not going to be abandoned again. Mm-hmm. Because I'm returning on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that ties in really well with this idea of like this victim mindset, because it really comes down to the stories that we tell ourselves about our experiences that determine how we end up feeling empowered or disempowered. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we do believe that life just happens to us and we're not actually making conscious choices, then that means we can't make choices to get ourselves out of what we've already created. Whereas if we say, okay, my life is actually, and this is the truth, guys, your life is actually just the product of all the choices you've made. So that's hard news because you got you where you are, but good news because it also means you can get you somewhere else. And I think for me, that's the biggest thing is is to recognize that if I don't like where I'm at, I can change it <laughs> because I got me here that's a better podcast title i got me here (laughs) (laughs) well 
instead of saying, you know, oh, the, my fate is up to everyone else around me, to my parents, to my church, to circumstance, I could say, actually, my, my, I'm not going to, I'm using the fate, the word fate very loosely. My life is what I create. And so as the creator of my experience, then I am like, I have all the tools. Yeah. And I, I could also say that um, if you're a Christian or a Jew or you're a Muslim and you're listening to this and you're saying, well, this sounds very humanistic and like you're cutting God out of the equation, uh, I would say that you could still operate, um, not could, but it's, it's totally doable to stay within your faith community and take charge of your life. Mm-hmm. It's just going to have to. It just like, wasn't very easy for me, right? And it, and I and for me, pretty much impossible because of not just the faith community, but also like I think the, just all the childhood stuff that came in part of it but too. All in the, with with that said, if you're around people who are constantly disempowering you, you might consider taking a break, right? Well, like anything, it's if you have a good and healthy relationship with your um, faith, good. If you are in a toxic relationship, then get out. Yeah, and I think with, that that's what it comes to because I work with you know a lot of my clients are Christian they are Catholic they are a part of a faith that they feel really strongly about and none of the work that we do is in conflict with that because it's all about actually just making sure that what they're doing and how they're orienting to their life and their faith and and God is healthy <laughs> and not toxic mm-hmm. because it's also we're working around the same things of how are you orienting to your relationships at work how are you orienting to your spouse to your children and all of those things can be in harmony and in balance and be healthy and that's the goal not how can i convince you to leave your religion today no it's uh... i just want people to have a healthy relationship with their faiths whatever those may be ones that are empowering and sustaining. Um, and just because for me that looks different doesn't mean I ever push my story as someone else's path. Right, because that's pretty much the opposite of what you're... Absolutely. Yeah. My path is my path, and it has led me in a lot of interesting directions and given me a lot of skills and a lot of um, information and knowledge. But I really encourage my clients any or anyone that I talk to to be sure to be I mean the whole point is that they're authentic to their calling their purpose their path and that we navigate those things from a place of empowerment and choice making instead of codependency victimhood whatever it is helplessness yeah grow up here <laughs> that's not what I would say <laughs> such a such a gross masculine analogy <laughs> as if we all need to have balls <laughs> maybe cut that out I definitely will <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share with someone you think might enjoy the experience too. You can also subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss a single episode. Share, like, subscribe. To ask questions, get feedback, or to have input on what topics we may cover in future episodes, email me at itsyoupodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in learning more about working with me as a client, head over to joyfullifeintuitive.com. Until then, remember, it's you.